This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey everybody, it is Trags once again, Mike Petralia with another episode of Red Sox Beat on the CLNS Media Network brought to you by our great sponsor and partner, betonline.ag. Joining me again is Alex Barth of 98.5, the sports hub, doing a tremendous job covering all things Boston sports for 98.5, as well as you can follow him on Twitter and you should be. He's one of the best follows, uh, young follows on Twitter out there for Boston sports fans at real Alex Barth, all one word. Before we get to the baseball and the big news concerning Chris Sale that uh, kind of broke from Alex Cora on Wednesday, I want to ask you about two things, the NBA Finals and whether or not you think the Celtics have enough defense to handle Steph Curry in game six on Thursday. And B, how's your U.S. Open experience at the country club? <laughs> yeah, I've been all over the place. I, yeah. I So... Do the Celtics have enough defense to handle Steph Curry? Yes. I, I think you're trying to ask me that in terms of will the Celtics win the game? I think the answers to those two questions can be different things. Look at what happened in game five. They took Steph Curry out of the game and they just completely, you know, screwed up offensively. They were inconsistent and they lost. So I think they have the defense to contain Steph Curry. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about them winning the game. Uh, as for the U.S. Open, that was really cool. I've never been to a golf tournament before. It was just a practice round, but it's, it's, it, it, you know, obviously it's different when you go out and you play with your buddies on a Saturday morning versus a professional, right. you know, tour, but it's, it's so different down to the little things. I mean, the course you, you hear like, Oh, this course is hard. And you know, you don't really know what that means. And then standing out there, the fairways are at like 45 degree angles and there's all these little nuances and traps. It's just so much narrower than it looks on TV. The greens and the fairways and the frog, uh, next and all of it, all of yeah. the deals that go in to preparing for a major. Now, this isn't just any old uh, country club and isn't any right. old tournament. It's the PGA Championship at the country club or the U.S. Open. I'm so what did I say? PGA. It PGA, is the yeah. U.S. Thank you for correcting me, Alex, and paying attention. <laughs> it is the U.S. Open at the country club in Brookline. And for you to have your first golfing coverage tournament experience at the U.S. Open at the country clubs, pretty remarkable. I remember in 1999, what a year that was. It was obviously Pedro and the All-Star Game at Fenway Park. It was the Ryder Cup and the Davis Cup, all in Boston in that incredible summer. And, uh, of course, that, that year, the Ryder Cup at the country club ended in incredibly dramatic fashion with the U.S. winning Payne Stewart and all of that. I don't want to get too far afoot here, but also with the Celtics, I asked you the wrong question. The question isn't about right. defense, as you said, about Steph Curry. It's whether or not the Celtics can take care of the basketball and handle the basketball. That's, That's my the real question. Concern. It's it's honestly, I would extend that to fundamentals. The two things that are driving me nuts with them right now, the turnovers are obviously one. That's a big one. The other one, I know people want to think free throws. It wasn't mm -hmm. great, but they had an off night at the line. It happens. Right. They're not moving. Right. There's no movement off the ball. That's what's killing me. Somebody brings the ball up. Some Somebody comes up and sets a screen 
And unless that screen gets set clean and, and, and the ball handler could drive to the basket, you got two guys standing in the corner, one guy on the wing. They're not moving. They're just sitting there and watching the whole thing. And they acknowledged as much after the after game four, but they came back in game five and did the same thing. So you watch the Warriors move off the ball. It's incredible, right? They, they've reinvented that element of the game. It feels like how, how smooth all five guys are in motion. It feels like the Celtics for most of the game, they didn't do it the whole game, but for a good chunk of the game, are just standing around on the offensive end and just right. hoping the ball carrier can can do something in ISO. And it's just, you're not going to win if that's your whole game. That could be some of your game, certainly. But the Celtics are, it's, you know, 75, 80% of their possessions right now. And that's just too much. All right. Now we want to get to the reason that people tune this fine award-winning podcast in, and that is Red Sox news. And I want to start with a good friend of the program, a good friend of the pod. Uh, that would be Ian Brown of RedSox.com. He tweeted on June 14th, that would be on Tuesday, a uh, day earlier than what we're recording, yeah. this about Chris Sale. Chris Sale will pitch in whatever role the team wants him to when he returns. He will throw two innings of live BP at Fenway on Thursday, he hopes to go on a minor's rehab assignment after that. He is in very good spirits, which says something about the way he feels. He retweeted that and quote tweeted his own tweet, Ian Brown, here uh, just a few minutes before we started recording uh, this podcast. Alex Cora pretty much ended this debate on Wednesday when he said that Chris Sale will be in the starting rotation when he returns to the team. I think that's kind of a no-brainer, Alex. Uh, if you follow the logic that somebody really has to step forward and take the spot of Nathan Avaldi, who went on the uh, disabled uh, injured list uh, last week with lower back stiffness. Yeah, but Cora also said yesterday that they don't expect Avaldi to miss any time beyond his IL stint, right? I just, I, I said it before, I don't think Chris Sale as a starter is how you get the most out of him. And like, maybe he's going to come back as a starter and it's one start until Evaldi comes back and then they move into the bullpen. That's fine. Whatever. Big picture though. This is a guy that has thrown, I, I think he's made nine appearances in the last two years, something yep. like that. It's yep. a low I, I number. Know where you're going with this. If you're going to ask that guy to go out and throw five, six innings every five days, if you're going to ask him to throw hundred innings, 150 innings, he just may not be able to do that at this stage in his career with how hurt he's been. And if you're going to say, well, it's modern baseball, they're not asking him to start five or six. They're asking him to start three or four. Right. Great. Then put him in the bullpen and have him throw three or four in that bridge roll. That's so valuable on games. You know, you have a shot to win because let's say he gives you three or four good innings. Who are you going to after that? You're Who's giving you the back five innings of that game? Nobody reliable. I would rather know I'm using Chris Sale in high leverage situations. So if the plan is to pitch him five or six innings per start, you're going to get him for about a month. He's going to go back on the IL. It's not worth it. If the plan is to pitch him for three or four innings per start, well, those three or four innings are a lot more valuable out of the bullpen than they are early in the game. So here's my answer to that. I think a lot of this is going to hinge on how fast Chris Sale warms up. And if he is hot quickly, then you use him like you suggest in the bullpen. If it takes him a while to warm up, I don't think you want to put Alex Cora in that position where you're forced to use him at the start of an inning. And I, I think that's really going to determine how the Red Sox and Alex Cora use Chris Sale. And they want to find this out sooner rather than later because they, I'm sure, Alex, they do want to leave open the possibility uh, that you're suggesting. 
And I also don't think the Red Sox feel the pressure that they did at the start of the year, or maybe even in spring training, because I think their rotation's pretty doggone solid right now. Um, you know, Garrett Whitlock's also on the 15-day injured list. But when you take a look at Rich Hill, six and five, 350 ERA, and uh, I don't have his whip right offhand, but um, Michael Walker, four and one, 233. He's been the ace of the staff. And then Rich Hill, two and three, 438 in 11 starts. So between Pavetta, Avaldi, uh, who had 12 starts, Michael Walker's 10 starts, and Rich Hill's 11 starts, you've had a lot of consistency in that rotation that, frankly, I didn't expect coming into the season. Yeah, and uh, the, the whips for uh, three of the three of those four are under 1.1. Rich Hill's That's at, at 1.2. Exceptional. So they've been good, but even more reason, they've been good. Why are you dinking with it? Who is, and I know, again, I know guys are hurt right now, and I'll say it again. If Chris Sale is going to start his first one or two appearances and then you move him into the bullpen, fine. Like, like that's that's all well and good. When when Whitlock and Evaldi come back, obviously you're not moving Evaldi to the bullpen. Are you moving Whitlock back to the bullpen? Well, he's been pretty good as a starter. And again, if, if, if you move him to the bullpen, the role he's going to fill is going to be the same role that Chris Sale would fill, but Chris Sale would benefit more from that innings management. Are you going to move Rich Hill to the bullpen? Well, you're losing really the one guy who can eat your innings. Are you going to move Michael Walker to the bullpen? Probably not. He's been damn good. I, I Again, if, in the short term, if he's going to start fine, whatever, you know, if it's two weeks, well, those guys are on the IL. It makes sense. The when Reds, everybody's healthy, yeah, I would still say he should be in the bullpen. The Red Sox five primary starting pitchers have combined to post a 344 ERA. In their 54 starts, that's Evaldi, Pavetta, Hill, Waka, and Whitlock. In their last 13, Alex, Red Sox starters have a 1.79 ERA with 69 strikeouts and only 15 walks. The Red Sox, not this shouldn't surprise anybody, are 14 and 5 when their starting picture throws at least six innings, winning each of the last eight games and 13 of their last 14. All awesome. those. So let's put a guy that can't throw six innings in the starting rotation. Yeah, but I think they need to know. Are, are you talking about sale? Sale. Yeah. yeah so well, it, it, like, here's what they so, need. To find. Here's why you do it, Alex. You do it to find out what he can offer you. Where is he going? Short term. Sure. Yes, but, that's what I think they're doing. Go ahead. And, and that's fine. But so just what I would say about that stat, because I still think there's people. I'm not necessarily talking to you. I'm talking to people who say, "Well, he's Chris Sale. You start him." That doesn't mean what you think it means right no, you know roger clemens is still roger clemens let's check his his birth certificate you want him um you know go i'm trying to think of some somebody who pitched in like you know uh i'm trying to think of somebody who pitched in the 70s i'm blanking on on and louis nolan Tion. ryan louis Tion. Louis, right and i love louis i've met louis a number of times i saw him on the golf course one super nice guy louis Tion is still louis Tion by definition I, I don't know how i feel about him starting a game today nolan ryan's still nolan ryan you're gonna throw him out there Bill Lee would, might would I, start a game today. Okay, Bill Bill Lee I'll, Bill Lee still does start from time to time. I'll give you Bill Lee. What I would say to that stat you just said, I, I don't know if re, read me that stat again. The one that was when when the starter goes at least six innings. The Red Sox are fourteen and five when their starting picture throws at least six innings, winning each of the last eight such games and thirteen of their last fourteen. Now I don't know if. In those, how many in those 19 games, their 14 and five record, 
our quality starts, meaning six innings and three sure. or four runs allowed. Well, so just what, what stands out to me there is when the starter goes deeper in the game, they're better. And, and again, I, I, I don't know if you have other numbers branching off yeah. of that, but what I would be interested in is when the starter doesn't go six innings, but still leaves with a lead, what is their record? I don't think it's good. And that's my point. You, you need to do everything to shield this bullpen and hide I, this bullpen. I, do not let them see the light of day. More to the point, Alex, you need yeah. to do more to shield the middle part or the long end of the bullpen. The yeah. Fifth and sixth inning part of the bullpen and maybe even the seventh. But certainly the fifth, you don't want to be, if you're Alex Corey, you're doing everything possible to avoid bringing, going to your bullpen in the fifth and sixth innings. And I think a lot of managers are doing that, but especially a guy like Alex Cora, who really has some very good arms at the back end, but getting there has proved problematic. And when the Red Sox have struggled, um, with a couple of exceptions, the bullpen uh, has really struggled uh, in those medium innings, holding the game where it is when the starter left. Right. And so that's where, again, putting Chris Sale in the rotation doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's counterproductive in two ways. One, when he starts, you're going to need to rely more on the middle of the bullpen. And two, if he's in the bullpen, he becomes the guy. You talk about, you know, the fifth, sixth, seventh inning kind of being the danger zone. Will you go from, I mean, whoever they're, they're throwing out there now, Ryan Brazier, Austin, Austin Davis has been good. But you get my point. Like, yes, haunt, uh, these names, you go from those guys to Chris Sale in those innings. And it's an upgrade. So that's that that's that's why I think it just makes more sense to go that way. He is Alex Barth of 98.5, the Sports Hub. Follow him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth, all one word. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest odds, news, and yes, sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals which we are currently approaching game number six at TD Garden, and Alex Barth will be covering that. The NHL Stanley Cup Finals between the Tampa Bay Lightning and Colorado Avalanche, Major League Baseball scores, and all of the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NLF futures. That online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Back with Alex Barth of 98.5, the sports hub. I want to uh, get to tonight's starting picture. Uh, that would be Wednesday night as we record this. That would be Josh Winkowski. Uh, he was called up once earlier and he threw um, a game against the Baltimore Orioles back on May 28th. Didn't go great. He took the loss in three innings, gave up six hits, four earned runs, three walks, four strikeouts and a home run. Again, he took the loss and that was his only other appearance of the season. So obviously he's getting a uh, spot start here. Um, he's two and two with a 409 ERA and nine starts with AAA Worcester this season. Um, certainly this is a band-aid. And I think the reason we've spent so much time talking about Chris Sale and the impact it will have on the rotation is I don't think, you know, they have a lot waiting in the wings. And I think, you know, they want to get their starting rotation as settled as possible for the second half of the season. 
Well, I don't know that it's they don't have a lot waiting in the wings. I think they don't want to rush guys, right? Winkowski, people I, had him as like a, a late 2022 call up, and, and he obviously came up earlier, didn't go well. I think Brian Bellow's another guy people right. are what looking I meant at. By that and, is immediately available to make an impact. I, I think okay. they, they don't want to rush these guys, but continue. Yeah. So I, you know, it'll be interesting. I like everything I've heard about Winkowski from from people in the minors, mostly people who watched him last year in double A. So maybe things have changed, but uh, generally people are a fan of his in, in terms of the way he attacks the game. He's got a very modern approach on the mound. You know, he'll kind of hit, you know, that, that three outcome baseball, he'll kind of force guys to, to take singles, to, to put the ball on the ground, all of that things guys don't want to do. And, you know, can you still do, it's a lot easier to do that in the minors where guys are trying to do, prove themselves. Can you still do right. that in the major league right. where hitters are much more developed and maybe more willing to do some of that stuff and, and, and more able to do some of that stuff. But I, you know, I'm not willing to write them off after that last start. Hardly. I'm not, I, that I, wasn't I, my point right. of reading this. It's just that, you know, we have to be careful here. The guy's getting a spot start and not to put too much on him. Hey, he could come up and throw seven shutout innings. It's the Oakland A's for God's sakes. And they're awful. Well, but go ahead. Right. No, that, that's kind of what my point was. Like, I, when you talk about development, I, it sucks that he's going to get, he got to start. That was a month ago, I think, wasn't it? It wasn't. Yeah, well, it was May 28th. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago and he'll get this spot starting and he'll go back down and maybe he'll be back up in like July. Right. We'll see up and down. That's at a certain point, you got to just do it. Right. So right. I'd like to see him, you know, he, he got sent down. He's had to think about that last start now for three weeks and that sucks that sucks having that in the back of your head and you could pitch well in triple a, but it doesn't really make up for it. I would love to see him have a good start here just to have something to hang his hat on and maybe encourage the team to bring him back up sooner and, and have him get some more consistent work. Cause I think that's the big thing with these guys, the, the bouncing up and down back and forth. If you're a young pitcher, especially your first time up, it's tough. It's really tough to handle that. So I, I'd like to see him give the team a reason to keep him around for a little bit, even if it's pitching out of the bullpen, just facing major league hitters. All right, Alex, let's get to uh, some of the things that uh, certainly have the Red Sox fans excited about this team because they're finally doing what I think a lot of people expected them to do, and that is mash. The Red Sox have eight home runs in their last four games. In their last 28, Alex, beginning May 16th, the Red Sox ranked tied for fourth in Major League Baseball with 40 bombs. J.D. Martinez has three home runs in his last four games after hitting goose egg in his previous 19 of Raphael Devers 15 home runs obviously he had the big three-run bomb on Tuesday night and the 6-3 win over Oakland five of those 15 have projected distance of at least get this this blows my mind he has at least five homers of 430 feet you know what that means he's barreling the ball at at a rate that's un unseen um this side of mike trout and shohei otani you know what i mean i mean he is and and bryce harper when bryce harper was going well he is squaring up the ball and absolutely obliterating it only three other players have hit as many as five home runs of 430 feet this year jordan alvarez whom we spoke about last week he has six of those and his, you know, big new, brand new contract extension. Vlad Guerrero Jr., no surprise, he has five of them. And Aaron Judge, no surprise there, he has five. Do you think of Rafi Devers hitting Titanic tape measure bombs when you think of the Red Sox third baseman? Because I don't necessarily think of that. 
Oh, I do. Did, did you see the one he hit last night, Tuesday night? I did not. I did you, not see the video of it. So do you remember this was a couple of years ago? That like, doesn't mean, let me, me interrupt. Like, let me interrupt. Okay. That doesn't mean I don't think he is a superb hitter and a home run hitter capable of home runs. I just don't think of him. And I don't think a lot of people think of him in the same group as Aaron Judge, Vlad Guerrero, and Jordan Alvarez. People should now. Go ahead. Oh, no, they absolutely should. I No, I, I think he's a he's an MVP candidate. He's he's bordering on perennial MVP candidate. I've, I viewed him that way, uh, you know, going back really to the, the, you know, going back to last season. Yeah, the one he hit last night. Do you remember? So Jordan's furniture always does like the free yes. furniture if this. And yes. it was the World Series one year. It was a no hitter. Do you remember the year they put a sign out in center field over the triangle instead of somebody? So Devers home run last night, had it been whatever that was, 12, 13, 14 years ago, would have won people free furniture. He hit it. It's not a Jordan sign anymore. I can't remember. It's, right. I think it's some company, but like he hit it there. No, he's um, he's on that level. I think it's because when he first came on the scene and I don't necessarily mean called up. I mean, when, when he was like, when the Red Sox started getting good and he became part of the core. Yes. It was Bogarts. It was prime JD Martinez. Mookie Betts was still here. Right. He was, he was still kind of up and coming. Like he wasn't, you know, the the core was in place and now a number of those, those core have either started to age out or they've left or whatever. And I think he's, some people still view him as the kid, right? They don't view him as, you know, how could he be on that level when, I think some people who don't follow the Red Sox closely and just go off reputation, it's still Xander Bogart's team. It's still JD Martinez team. How can he be, you know, one of the best player hitters in baseball when he's not the best hitter on his team, they still look at those guys and those guys are still great hitters, but I think just the timing's a little weird with him and that's kind of hurt his reputation, but no, he's a, I think he's a borderline top five bat in baseball. So I misspoke again, 2017 was his first year with the Red Sox at the age of 20, but he only, played in 58 games that year is really his first full year was the incredible 2018 year for the Red Sox, the 108 regular season wins the world series win over the Dodgers uh, in 2018. Uh, he hit just 240, but he had uh, 21 homers and 66 RBIs the next year. 2019 was his breakout year at the age of 22. That's when he hit 54 doubles, 32 homers, 115 RBIs, slashed 311, 361, 555. That was a remarkable year. And that year, when I read off those numbers, Alex, he came in 12th in the MVP voting. 12th. Well, because the Red Sox weren't good that year. Yeah, but they, still, you know. Oh, come on. I mean. No, no, he should have been higher. It's it's the, the the MVP voting. They based that a lot on you know war, which your team needs to win to have war. If your name is Mike Trout, you get it. You get some help. But um, no, he was he was underrated. Then he's been underrated. Then he had a rough year, and you know he was down a little bit in twenty twenty. Uh, he had the rough year in twenty twenty because it was the pandemic year and all that. He started to right. bounce back last year. No, he's. I mean, he can be this player. And the other thing is, he's cut the strikeouts out. That was kind of the big knock yes. on him. I remember Great coming point. up was. Great. He was striking out a ton in that kind of limited, basically where he was where Bobby Dalbeck is now. Uh, the difference is he, he's, he completely turned the corner and he figured out and he still strikes out a good amount, but it's manageable for everything else he gives you. And I think that, you know, his league wide reputation, people who don't follow him closely is probably two or three years behind where he actually is right now. 
So that's a great point you made about the war because I looked it up and I'm reading it right now, the beauty of doing a podcast on a laptop. Mike Trout was your winner that year. His OPS was 1.083. That's 1,083, 291, 438, 645. He won. Here are the other um, two through 11 that finished ahead of Raphael Devers. Alex Bregman, Marcus Simeon, Simeon, I'm sorry, DJ LeMahieu, Bogarts, Matt Chapman, George Springer, Mookie Betts, Nelson Cruz, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and then Devers. The Red Sox had three of the top 12 finishers in the MVP voting in 2019. And uh, obviously a disappointing end to that season. Yeah, they, I, was it the pitching was a mess that year, right? Yes, correct. It was a disaster. So, because they can't have two good years in a row. They just can't do it for whatever reason. First place, last place, first place, last place. That's what they do. They're not going to finish last place this year. They are. No, this year's. Go ahead. Going to be old. No, this year, it, 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 they'll probably be a wild card team. Or, or actually, playoffs, last place, playoffs, last place, playoffs, last place. It's what they do. But uh, it's it, it's been interesting. They have the second best record in baseball since I think it's May 13th. Um, right around when Alex Cora shaved his beard. That's that's the demarcation people keep using. The Red Sox own the American League's best record since May 18th. Very good. 19 and yeah. 7 for a 731 winning percentage, tied with Atlanta, winners of 13 straight um, for the best record in the majors. So obviously you're talking about they're they're on an extended hot streak. Right. They're not gonna catch the Yankees. I mean, well. Go ahead. So th- this is where, because we've ki- we kind of joked about this the last couple of podcasts. This is where that Celtics thing starts to come in. There was an arbitrary date. It was Jalen Brown tweeting the energy's about to shift, and everybody kept going back to that date. Yep. And suddenly they had, you know, oh well, they've been the best defensive team in basketball since. Yes. Then. Oh well, you know, so and so has been the best score, and then all of a sudden they have the best record since that date, and they never let go of it. Right. So. Right. This is where it starts to feel like that. And I know you're saying they're not going to catch the Yankees. Those are those are famous last words in New York. The Red Sox aren't going to catch the Yankees. So famous last words. So we'll, as we'll we record this, <laughs> hold yeah. on. Hold the phone. As we record this, the Yankees are 45 and 16. Um, they are opening a series with the Tampa Bay Rays. Are, they're in the midst of a series with the Tampa Bay Rays. They have opened a nine-game lead over Toronto, 10 over the Rays, and 12 and a half over the Red Sox. And I think the Red Sox focus, until further noticed, is making sure that they make a good they're in good position to make the postseason. Then anything can happen. We all know that it's cliche, but to think you're going to beat a, a uh, chase down a team that's um, what 13 games ahead of you in the loss column right now. And, and they're the Yankees and for them, the Yankees to suddenly collapse. It's certainly it's possible, but I don't think it's realistic, but I will say this. Yep. They have 16 head to head games left 16. That's basically the whole day that one series, the beginning of that's it. 16 head to head games. That's a lot of baseball. So it's what a 13 game difference, right? So let's say they they win 11 of those and lose five. That means you've made up six of those 13 games. You still have to make up another seven in the loss column, correct? I guess that's doable, but that's what it's going to take. 
That, oh, I'm not saying it's easy. I wouldn't put money on it. But again, that they're they're not going to catch the Yankees. That's famous last words. Look All what right. happened last year. But he was saying there was no shot the Yankees were going to catch the Red Sox, and I mean they they didn't, but they came very very close. I think it ended up finishing like a they were up around this time of year. I think it was like a ten game gap, and it ended up being one or two. So they're going to be right. They, they could get right there on the doorstep, but you get late. Who knows what'll happen? So we're going to finish this up the way we started. What do you see happening in game six? And do you see a game seven and who wins the series? I, I, I want to say the Celtics will win game six. I do. These playoffs have been so weird. There's no momentum. I don't want to like, so when I say, I think the Warriors win game six and I do, I'm not saying that because they also won game five or they won two in a row and they have momentum now. Like I, there's no momentum in this playoffs. I, I think you're starting to see the wear and tear of the Celtics having played back-to-back seven-game series versus the Warriors, who only went past game five once throughout the playoffs. I think you're starting to see that. I think you're starting to see the the veteran knowledge of the Warriors having been on this stage before. I think you're starting to see that. And I think the Celtics are just regressing a little bit, and they're doing it at the worst possible time. But, you know, I was on with Adam Jones last night on 98.5. He said, what adjustments would you make? I couldn't think of one. I really can't. I think Ime Udoka's strategy has been excellent. He's been great. I It's an execution thing. You can have the perfect game plan. If you can't execute it, what does it matter? And from the turnovers and, and the lack of urgency on offense to, you know, they're just not covering the screen game well on the defensive side of the ball. And it's not like they, you know, they're scheming it wrong. They're just physically not getting to the spots they need to get to. It just feels like the Warriors have this figured out. It feels like the Celtics have kind of hit the wall. Yep. And... I don't know that the Celtics win two in a row. Could they win game six? Sure. I wouldn't count them out, but I just don't think they're winning two in a row. I think the Warriors are hot and and they're going to be able to get one of these. You think Jason Tatum has hit the wall and is gassed? So I think that's part of it. I think what happened is I thought game one was his best game of this series and he didn't score a ton, but late in the Miami Heat series, they really started doubling him, and he was having real trouble with it. And Golden State came out and doubled him early in game one, and he figured it out. He was passing out of the doubles, and, and he was excellent. He was a distributor, and he they, they were able to win that way. I think what happened is the fallout from a lot of people from that game where casual fans looked at it and said, I think it was 13 points, Tatum had said, Jason Tatum only had 13 points his first finals game. What a letdown, right? He didn't score. And that, you know, just missing the point of how well he played game. overall. Right. But I think consciously subconsciously i'm not saying this is like him actively hunting it but i think he may have taken that narrative to heart because now he's not passing out of those doubles he's not being a facilitator he's taking bad shots he's trying to run up the score work the statistics all of that i think if he's settled if the celtics are going to win this series they need game one jason tatum back they need that facilitator jason tatum back and look guys have to hit shots too marcus smart missing two open threes at the end of game four that didn't help on good passes from jason tatum but I think they need facilitator Jason Tatum back if they want to come back and win this series. He is Alex Barth. He does a tremendous job covering all things Boston sports. He will be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he, will you be at the U.S. Open? Yeah, no, I'm, uh, uh, I won't be at the U.S. Open, but I will be at, at uh, Game 6. I'm living the the, uh, the Trags life now. I'm just, when there's a Boston sporting event in Boston, I'm there. That's when there you I'm, go. I'm picking up where you left off. So you will be at the NBA finals game number six Follow him on 98.5, the sports hub.com. Correct. Yep. 
and yep. follow him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth, all one word. Want to thank Alex. Want to thank, as always, our terrific sponsor, BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. For Alex Barth, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by the CLNS Media Network.